The text for this morning is the exact time when the star had appeared. Big space news. The successful launch of the James Webb Telescope, the largest deep space telescope yet built, intended to probe the deepest recesses of the cosmos. Astronomers and physicists just can't wait to see what will be revealed. And everything is on track. It isn't quite there yet, but it's on its way. There was once a wise man by the name of Pythagoras who studied the stars, among other things. A familiar name? <laughs> Where is it familiar from? <laughs> Geometry, okay. Well, he was a Greek mathematician who lived in the latter part of the 6th century BC and was credited, among other things, with discovering the spheroid shape of the Earth and the identity of the morning and evening stars as the planet Venus. He regarded himself as a philosopher, a lover of wisdom. His work in maths and geometry made a significant contribution to the development of astronomy. However, the wise men Matthew speaks of were most likely astrologer-priests from Babylonia. Though astrology and astronomy have common roots, there's an important distinction. Astronomy is the study of the universe and its contents outside the Earth's atmosphere, focusing on positions, motions, and the properties of celestial objects. Astrology, on the other hand, attempts to study how those positions, motions, and properties affect people and events on Earth. For several millennia, the desire to improve astrological predictions was one of the main motivations for astronomical observations and theories. And in that endeavour, geometry had a very important role. However, in pre-modern times, most cultures didn't make a distinction between the two. For example, in ancient Babylonia, famed for its astrology, both functions were performed by the same person. By 3 BC, Babylonian astrology had begun to make its presence felt in Greece. About the same time, a, Greece, a Greek philosopher by the name of Plato, a, fundamental, a foundational figure for Western science, philosophy and mathematics, held that the world was constructed with geometric simplicity and elegance. He felt certain that the sun, moon and planets would have a naturally circular motion. However, although the fixed stars did in fact move in simple circles about the north star, the sun, moon and planets traced out much more complicated paths across the sky. These paths had been followed closely and recorded since early Babylonian civilization, so were very well known. Plato challenged his Athenian colleagues to prove that perhaps these complicated paths were actually combinations of simple circular motions. Well, one of Plato's students, Eudoxus, created a cosmological model of the Earth with the Earth at its centre, which stayed unchanged for close on 500 years until Ptolemy, who lived in Alexandria, added epicycles to explain the retrograde motion of planets. That means the planets seem to move backwards as well as forwards. 
He was a Greco-Roman mathematician, a poet, and an astrologer as well. And in fact, astrology continued to be regarded as part of mainstream science until the late 1600s. Now, that's not intended to be a brief history of everything, but perhaps gives some background to where the Babylonians fitted into the overall scheme of things. In first century Israel, the fame of the Babylonian astrologers was clearly well known, perhaps since the time of the exile, though their techniques were regarded as part of a pagan faith and therefore rather suspect. You could study the stars as long as you didn't worship them. But interestingly, the church has long revered the fact that such pagans were drawn to come in recognition of the incarnation to pay homage to this newly born sovereign. This event was not just something of significance only for the Jews, but for all humankind. And that's the basic meaning of the Feast of Epiphany, which was just three days ago. So that's why I'm using the Epiphany readings this morning rather than for the Sunday of Epiphany 1. But let's go back to the story Matthew tells, which, by the way, could only have come from Mary. And perhaps due to Matthew's typical Jewish unfamiliarity with the science of astronomy, it's a story which carries with it some misleading ideas. These have been compounded by well-meaning interpretations of later Christian thinkers and translators. That's why that short phrase, part of verse 7, caught my attention. Herod wanted to learn the exact time the star had appeared. Now the star of Bethlehem has been the subject of much discussion and hypothesis down the centuries, most imagining something like something miraculous moving uh, on before the wise men, a bit like a low-flying drone with a bright LED lamp shining down to illuminate the path. Others have sought for some heavenly occurrence that might fit the biblical account. But over the years, no contender quite fit, fitted the bill. Not the least because the monk Dionysius Exegus, uh, in English that's Dennis the Insignificant, was given the task over 500 years after the fact of setting the dates for Easter. He made a mistake in calculating the birth of Christ from the old Roman calendar when he wanted to establish what would be the year one of the Christian calendar. So right at the very beginning, there was a little problem. In order to find out when Jesus was actually born, we can rely on what, the, what Dr. Jeff Tallon, professor of physics at Victoria, has found written in the stars when compared with the biblical record and other sources of the era. And he's given me permission to uh, use this material, which he put together some years ago now. I think I should mention just as an aside that today, with computer technology, you can have a look at the night sky from any point of the compass, anywhere in the world, at any date. That's quite an amazing piece of technology. Anyway, we must start with Jesus' death because of the eclipse that occurred at that time. The records show that there was 
such an eclipse, which would produce just the conditions described in the biblical record, and it occurred on the 3rd of April, three, uh, 33 AD. Jesus had a three-and-a-half-year ministry, which began with his baptism by his cousin John when he was about 30 years old. This Jeff calculates to be in the autumn of 29 AD, which would put Jesus' birth about 3 BC. And as Luke tells us, it happened during a census, which was in fact the empire-wide oath of allegiance to the Emperor Augustus in 3 BC. Now what did the wise men see back home that sent them gallivanting across the countryside to greet a royal infant? Well, on the 11th of September, 3 BC, the king planet Jupiter was in conjunction with the king star Regulus within the constellation of Leo, all astrological uh, information. To the astrologers, that was the constellation of Judah. So they headed for Jerusalem, expecting to find the baby in King Herod's palace. Where else? And didn't that set the cat among the pigeons? Just imagine the consternation, the stir in the royal household. Who were these outlandish strangers? What could this visit possibly mean? What threat to the precarious leadership of a Roman-occupied country? Herod offers hospitality to what is effect, to what was, in effect, a diplomatic delegation from a foreign power and hastily calls together a council of advisers. If there's a pretender to my throne, where would he have been born? asked Herod. Why, in Bethlehem, came the response, according to the prophet Micah. But Herod wants to know more, and he's not about to share whatever more he discovers with any around that council table. He wants to know just when the star first appeared so that he can estimate how old the child is now, this upstart, this pretender. The date happens to be 25th December, 2 BC. Not the day Jesus was born, but over a year later. The day the wise men arrived and the whole of Jerusalem is celebrating Hanukkah. The planet Jupiter whose movement across the skies the wise men have been marking night by night as it shifted, they know has reached the limit of its retrograde motion. It has reached the highest point and it stops. And when they look from their accommodation in Jerusalem, they see that it is standing not anywhere in the southern sky, but right over Bethlehem. No wonder they were overjoyed. So, at Herod's behest, they take the eight-kilometre road to the neighbouring town and they find the child. I guess there would be somebody in, that, in the stalls at one of the markets who would know who had added to their family in the last year or so. And there they presented their gifts. Gifts of size and value suitable for a toddler, a royal toddler but growing up in the home of a carpenter, not a palace. And I'm sure they would confide in that little family that they had been warned not to return to Herod, but to go home another way. Wise men. But there's more. When looking from Jerusalem that day, 
those wise men would have seen below Jupiter another cluster of stars that they thought belonged to the constellation of Centaurus, of no particular interest at the time. Later Ptolemy would list them in his charts, but by 400 AD these stars were no longer visible to most of Europe. They'd dropped below the horizon, and Europeans didn't rediscover them as a separate constellation until the Portuguese and Italians were mounting sailing expeditions to places like Brazil and China in the late 15th century, which took them into the southern hemisphere. And it was they who called this constellation the Southern Cross. Of course, Mari knew them, but knowing nothing of Roman executions, saw, saw one tribe saw them as an anchor, and another tribe saw them as a hole in the sky through which the storm winds blew. Only in the late 20th century did we develop the computer technology which allowed us, for whom the Southern Cross is so significant, to see that on that day, 25th of December, 2 BC, it stood upright over Bethlehem. When Herod asked that secret question, little did he know the significance that was attached to what the wise men saw that day. Only now, at the very ends of the earth, comes the realisation that the king planet and the symbol of crucifixion were destined from the dawn of time to stand together over the temporary home of the one born to be the very light of the world. I think I want to say that again. Only now, at the very ends of the earth, comes the realisation that the king planet and the symbol of crucifixion were destined from the dawn of time to stand together over the temporary home of the one born to be the very light of the world. Stargazers and poets, map makers, astrophysicists, photographers, sailors and boy scouts, all who wonder at the beauty of the skies on a clear night. What are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Well, I too have shared that sense of wonder as I've looked up at the stars of both hemispheres from the deck of a sailing ship. But this latest silent revelation, joining Advent and Easter, is to me like the very thumbprint of the Creator for those who have eyes to see it. <laughs>